turn to Malachi chapter 1. Now, we've been in a series out of the last book of the Old Testament, the last book. And we've been looking at this Old Testament declaration that has an application for us today in the year 2008. And we've been talking about what God's Word has to say, and we've been looking verse by verse in this uh, wonderful last book of the Old Testament. Now, so you know, this is the last time God is going to speak for 400 years. Think for a moment what it would have been like if uh, a loved one or a friend would say, this is my last message for 400 years. You would think it'd be important for you to listen. You would want to make sure that you hear everything that is said. Now, we don't know whether the people in Malachi's day knew this was the last message of the Lord or not. It seems that they don't because their response is, who cares? It's nothing big. So God is speaking again through one of his prophets. What's the big deal? We find the people of Malachi in a time of wondering and waiting. There wasn't a lot of great stuff, if you will, going on in Malachi's day. There weren't these great, awesome superstar prophets like Elijah and Elisha. There weren't the kings like uh, David and Solomon. This was a time where it was just kind of transitionary. It was a time where not much was going on. As I told you a couple weeks ago, this is uh, what commentators say is the time after the fireworks show has come to completion. We find ourselves in the book of Malachi. And when God proclaims his love for the people in Malachi 1.5, when God says that I've destroyed your enemies in 1.5, it also goes on to say that the people say, ho-hum, who cares? What's so big about God's love? How have you loved us? They ask God and they find themselves saying, God is no big deal in our lives. He's a part of it, a very small part of it, but not a great deal of importance in our lives. So what does God do? God gives seven confrontations in the book of Malachi. We've looked at a couple of them already. We'll look at another one this morning. But seven confrontations between God and the nation of Israel. And what is their response? Here God speaks to them. He accuses them of things. And their response is, what do you mean? We have done nothing wrong. How have we not done what you've said? And God goes like a prosecuting attorney and he begins to lay out the case against them. So why did we pick the book of Malachi to study? It is my understanding, it is my belief that the people in the book of Malachi are a picture of Western evangelicalism. And what I mean by that is the people of Malachi's day had a careless detachment from God. God was a part of their life but a very distant part of their life. And so what happened? They kind of just went through the motions. They went through the ritual, but there was no care or concern. That should make us, give us a warning this morning. There are some here today, I hope not too many, I hope none at all, who did not walk through this communion celebration just as another first Sunday of the month where we eat some bread and we drink a little juice. I'm not sure what it all means, but hey, they share snack first Sunday of the month. It's a ritual. And that's what was going on in Malachi's day. Malachi's day was a time where people were casual about their walk with God. 
So we're going to look at what he shares with them because God hits them right between the eyes. God announces to the nation and then to the priests that they didn't care. And in verse 13 of our text, they're going to talk about being weary in serving the Lord. There are some here this morning who are weary in worshiping the Lord, weary in serving the Lord. And there's a great big beware sign there because if you're walking down that road, you're looking towards trouble. So let's look at what takes place in our text. Malachi chapter 1. We're going to look at verses uh, 6 through 14. There are three things I want you to see this morning as we read this text. Number one, we see that God speaks to the priest and he tells them, first of all, they've desecrated the altar. Number two, they despise the name of God. And number three, they have defiled the people and themselves. They desecrated the altar, despised the name of God, and defiled the people and themselves. So let us stand and read God's word this morning. Looking at Malachi chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 6 and go through verse 14. This is what Malachi says. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? The Lord says, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great Among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table, by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food it's contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring your injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father God, we come to a text where we see you are angry. We come to a text that we see that you are disappointed with your people. And Lord, we must pause And we must reflect and we must ask the question, are we displeasing to you today? Are we living lives that are creating an anger in our Lord's heart? Are we finding ourselves pursuing other things and giving you second best or third best or fourth best? Lord, open our minds, open our hearts, allow your spirit to move in our hearts so that we may know how to best serve and worship and give to you 
the best of what we have. We know that you sent your son, the best of the best, to die on the cross of Calvary. And you deserve the best from us. So Lord, that is our desire this morning. That is our heart of our prayer that we would be able to be known as a people who give our all to our Lord and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Before I get into my text today, I thought we'd have a little fun. I wore a suit because I'm going to play a game show with you guys. Two questions. We're going to have two winners, and I have two prizes. Isn't that what you need for a game show? Questions or some sort of puzzle? Answers? A good-looking game show host? And a wonderful, affirming crowd. We've got all that. Some applause, yes. There are two things I love in this world. The first one is sports. I love sports. So the first question I have, and I'm looking for the first participant to raise their hand, and you will win a prize if you can get this answer correct. Yesterday, there was a large horse race that was run at a place called Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky. The winner of that Kentucky Derby was... Back there. Big Brown, come on down! You should have been praying during that time. Did someone tell you the answer? You know what we're talking... You know what verse 14 says? Talks about the cheat. Okay, so you stand here. The second thing I love is the study of God's Word. So I have a Bible question for you. According to, not you, you're, you've, already, you've already disqualified yourself, cheater. <laughs> According to Genesis 18.12, Genesis says that Sarah laughed. What caused Sarah to laugh in Genesis 18.12? I saw a little guy back there. What does he have? Does he have an answer back there? No? All right. Uh, what do you got in the back there? Okay, I need a little more than that. What, what was going on that he was old? You got it? I'll give you one more chance. Pregnant. Get on down here. Let's give him a hand. Come on down. I bet you he didn't get the answer from someone else. All right. I got two prizes. I'm excited about these prizes. These are awesome Prizes and because it's got powdered blue, I'm gonna give it to the nice young lady here. Open that up. I tell you, I I went out and it was great. Pick it out. Look, open it. Look at that. Is it good? Look at that. Look at that. You like that? Isn't that great? What's wrong? It's it's what? Don't look at what you always cheating. What's wrong? Okay, you're Canadian too. That's your problem. Oh, Canada. <laughs> What's wrong? It's broken. So it's all right. You can put some glue on it. You'll be fine, right? Kevin can, Kevin can do it. That's right. You stay there for a second. I've got, how many people you got in your row back there? You got four or five people in your row back there? I've got six awesome donuts. Take a look at these donuts. These are, these are primo donuts. When I saw them, they were, they were awesome. 
don't you pick out a donut? Which one do you want? What? Oh, he did? That's all right. We'll let it go. Don't worry about it. Nobody heard you. Okay. So which one do you want? What are you talking about? It's okay. This one's not bad. Right, let me this one. I think uh, Al Gonerman, the chairman of the elders, ate this one. This will, this, this is a big prize one. You don't want it? Why not? Why don't you guys want your gifts? Saliva. Saliva? <laughs> Do you want to take it with you or you want me to leave it up here? Leave it up. Leave it up. You don't want it. All right. How about you? Do you want to keep your gift or no? You got Kevin to fix it. The great redeemer. But it's not as great as you thought it would be, is it? No. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. All right. What is that uh, application for that kind of game show? The application is, is that I talked a big game. I set you up for this wonderful game. It was wonderful. I do have to say so myself. A wonderful game where there were going to be prizes. And the expectation of the people were, was that, hey, we're going to get a prize at the end of this. The problem was, is when they got the prize, they were disappointed in what they were given. Why? Because one thing was broken when it should have been totally put together. And the other thing was, is that they were leftovers. You see, when I came to church this morning, everybody saw that I had donuts. And they wanted a bite of the donut. But I knew I had to have something to give. So I said, just take a bite or two. Al took three. But, uh, <laughs> but they were leftovers. Our text tells us today that God's people were giving broken things and they were giving leftovers back to God. And you know, the amazing thing is, is we as Christians sing songs like, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a might will I withhold. But then we fail to give to the Lord of our tithes and offerings. We read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we are living sacrifices. We are to offer ourselves as these amazing living sacrifices before God. And yet we withhold our testimony. We withhold our talents. And we say, you know what, maybe I'll help for uh, an hour all throughout the, the year. And I, I won't do much in helping. Or, or maybe I won't say anything about God in my workplace or in my school. And you know what God says, just like in the day of Malachi? You're giving me leftovers and you're giving me broken things. And there are some here today that God is hitting us right between the eyes and is saying, what you're giving is not good enough. So how do we find out what is good enough before the Lord? We see that uh, Malachi speaks to the priests. You want to get a nation thinking right? You get your priests thinking right. You get your pastors thinking right. You get your church leaders thinking right. And he begins to share three things that we need to look at in our text today. The first thing we see that God speaks about is he says, cease the pattern of living, cease the pattern of living that displeases God. 
If you call yourself a child of God this morning, you have an innate responsibility. In fact, I will go as far as to say you should have an innate joy about you, about serving and worship, worshiping and pleasing God. If it is a drudgery to come to church, if it is a drudgery to pray, if it is a drudgery to give God glory on a consistent basis, then something is wrong and you need to double check whether or not you are truly in the faith. The Bible says that we will long to serve him. Now, I know there are days and I know there's even, in fact, weeks where we fall prey to the devil. But the question we must ask is, is there a a pattern, a consistent pattern of my life that says, I am a child of God and I love being there and I love to worship my God and I love to be with God's people. If you can't say that, then something is wrong. It says that we should be pleasing God. Now, we know that during this day, of time that is taking place in Malachi. It's a day of carelessness. People aren't very concerned about what concerns God. They're more concerned about what's going on in their lives. We know in the book of Haggai, a contemporary of Malachi, we know that they were more concerned about building their homes and decorating their homes than making sure that the temple of God where they worshiped was a place of honor and respect. It was laid in ruins, the book of Haggai says. It was a day of carelessness. Well, what brought this about? The, the, the confrontation that God gives is because these people, the children of Israel, were called back in the book of Leviticus to bring offerings to the Lord. In fact, turn in your Bibles, if you're in the book of Malachi, go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, the fourth book, I think it's the fourth book, the, no, third book, third book of the Bible, Genesis, or I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 22. We're going to get our basis of what God is talking about this morning. Leviticus chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 2. Leviticus 22, start in verse 2. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate to me, so they will not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. This is written to the priests saying, don't screw around with this sacrifice thing. It's too important. It's too important for us to make light of. Now turn to uh, verse 19 and 20. What are the people to do? Speak to Aaron and his sons, verse 18. And to all the Israelites and say to them, if any of you, either an Israelite or an alien, that's a non-Israelite for those that wonder, living in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, you must present, here's the requirement, a male without defect from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order that it may be acceptable on your behalf. Do not bring anything. What does that word say? Anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. God says, all right, 
You're going to be giving me uh, lambs. You're going to give me bulls. You're going to give me goats. And you're going to bring them to the priest. And the priest's job, the Levitical priesthood, was to then come and they were to take the offerings and they were to make sure that they were sacrificed in a proper way. But what happens? We know that they start bringing diseased animals. They start bringing crippled animals. They start bringing blind animals. Can you just notice what's going on here? You see the the row of people coming into the temple, bringing their animals, and maybe one's missing an arm or one's foaming at the mouth. And their thought was, hey, I can't use it. Might as well give it to somebody. And their determination was, I'll give it to God. Now, that should have been stopped by the leaders in the priesthood. They should have said, wait a minute. Don't you remember what the book of the law said when the Lord spoke to Moses? You can't do that. Go get your best and bring that and we'll sacrifice it. But that's not what happens. It says that the priest had grown weary in the latter part of our text. It says they were weary. It was a burden. And I can only just imagine what the priests were thinking. Here come these doggone people again with these crippled animals. And you know what? I'm tired of telling them that it's time to bring something better. I'll just sacrifice it. I'll just get it over with. And let's not worry about it. Let's not make a big scene about this. Let's move on. Because who wants to sit here and be sacrificing animals all day? And so they had grown weary. It was a burden. This displeased God. Now, where did this kind of behavior come from? We see, first of all, it comes from prideful attitudes. Prideful attitudes. Look at verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. We looked at it last week. Just look at it for a moment. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. They had a prideful attitude. And the prideful attitude was, is God is their father and God is their master and they don't respect him. They think they're better than God. They say, you know what? So God's our father. Who cares? It's not a big deal. I mean, how much has he really done for us lately? He had us in captivity. What kind of father is that? He says, I'm your master. We are to serve our masters. And they're saying, you know what? Who cares? So he tells us to do things. It's too hard to do those things. Does God know how busy I am? Does God know how little is in the checkbook? It's too hard for me to do. So I'm going to do what's best for me and my family. That is a source of pride. We even know that God time and time again announces to his people, you're doing something wrong. And their pride comes out because they say, we've done nothing wrong. Come on, God, you've got things all mixed up. You're looking at the wrong people. We're okay. We love you, God. We're all good. And they're not. Pride is an action that, or pride is an attitude that leads to some actions. It's been said by uh, an individual that whatever is in your warehouse will inevitably show, uh, end up in your showroom. What's in your warehouse? One day it's going to end up for everybody to see. And the people of Israel, this happened because they were thinking a certain way. They had some attitudes that were full of pride and it led to polluted actions. It led to a group of polluted actions. What do they do? They bring all these bad uh, animals to them, to God. In verse 7, it says, The priests have shown contempt and they have placed defiled food on my altar. 
They're bringing the holy God defiled food. They're sitting there and taking the worst that they have and giving it to God who has given his best to the people. And they've done it because of their pride. They're more important than God. Their involvement in life is more important than the worship of God. And what does God do to deal with it? Nine times in our text, he speaks his name. He says, I am the Lord Almighty. 23 times in the whole book, the Lord shares his name. Many of them are the unspeakable name of God, Yahweh. In fact, that word was so unspeakable that if a a scribe wrote the word Yahweh out, he was to stop what he was to, he was to take the pen and destroy it, he was to go and wash himself and put on new clothes because that was a holy name. Now, why does God do that? Because he wants to deter pride in our lives. You know how God deters pride in our lives? How he begins to fight back against the pride in our lives? He shares his name and he says, I am the Lord Almighty. What are you, man, in light of me? You're nothing. Remember what God does with Job when Job starts questioning God? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Were you around? No, you're just a man. I'm God. And he says, my name will be great among the nations. There are some today that need to hear the name of God because you're beginning to think more of yourself than you should. And those attitudes are moving into something even more dangerous because the Bible says that as a man thinks, so he is. I think the book of Proverbs talks about that. And you know what will begin to happen? You think you're going to start being able to get away with sin. You think you're going to be able to start getting away with a certain pattern of life. And God is going to say, I will not let that happen. Because what you sow, you shall also reap. And the Bible says when we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction. Those are tough words for a people to hear, but they are true and holy words. God says, don't mess around. Don't do things that displease me. Well, what caused this? They were weary in following the Lord's commands. Are some of us weary this morning? Weary in going through all this, getting up on on Sundays and and serving and, and, and giving of our money. And man, we could do this with our money instead of giving it to the Lord. We could do this with our time. I tell you what, it doesn't take long. There are a lot of things that in my flesh I would love to do. But I have chosen and I've committed myself and I don't do it perfectly, but I've committed myself to be in the service of the Lord. And that means even some of the the noble, well-to-do things that I would like to do, I can't because they'll take me away. And I have to be careful that the devil doesn't say, you know what? Don't worry about the message this Sunday. Go and enjoy this. Don't worry about going and making a phone call to these people. You go and do that. Some of us have grown weary A lot of it is because we have a picture of God that we want a little part of God. Chuck Swindoll put it well, I think, when he said that people want $3 worth of God. He says that Christianity today is a group of people that long for only $3 worth of God. Now, some of us would love to buy $3 worth of God, he says. Not enough to explode your soul or to disturb your sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze 
in the sunshine. You pursue ecstasy, but you don't want transformation. You want the warmth of the womb, but not the new birth. You want a pound of the eternal, yet in a paper sack, because you only want $3 worth of God. Is that your heart this morning? Does Chuck Swindoll hit it on the head? We need to stop living casual Christian lives. It's time to rid ourselves of pride, give God the honor and the respect that he is due, allow him to humble us as his name is spoken, as his name is worshiped. We learn it's not about me, God. It's all about you. And to praise the name of the one who has saved us. Second point this morning, check to see. Check to see if what you give God is what he demands. They are giving stuff to God. And the problem is, is they're not checking to make sure that God's okay with it. Now, this could be ignorance. They may have not have known any better. Now, we, we, we know that not to be true, but let's give them a chance to defend themselves. Maybe they just don't know that they're not supposed to bring the crippled and the blind and the, and the diseased animals to the Lord. But we know that they would have been well-versed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And they would have known that. They would have known being brought up at a young age that they were to give the best to the Lord. But let's say they were ignorant. Let's for a moment think that there are some out there today in our midst that don't know what it means to serve the Lord. They don't know what it means to give to the Lord with their finances. They don't know what it means to live out the Christian life. Maybe they've just recently come to know uh, Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you're sitting there saying, Tim, I don't want to do what's wrong. I do want to check it, but I don't know. My answer is, get involved in this church. What is the job of the church? The job of the church is to equip the people of God for the works of service. We are here to teach and to preach and to equip people. And not just the elders and not just the deacons or the teachers, but all of us are to equip one another so we know what God's good and pleasing will is in our lives. So if you have a question about giving, if you have a question about serving, if you have a question about living a life of holiness, don't just say, you know what, I don't have the answer, so I'll make up an answer. That's not Christianity. Go and seek out the scriptures. Go and pursue someone who will be able to teach you what God's good and pleasing will is. I understand that some are new to this, but that doesn't mean that we get a curve on holiness or on our commitment. But we know that this isn't the fact. In fact, when God brings it up, they don't say, we didn't know. We didn't know what your, your rules were. We didn't know what your law was. And the text tells us that they were indifferent. They say, well, hey, we haven't done anything wrong. So how do we keep from doing that? How do we keep from uh, being indifferent to God's commands? There are two tests that we see uh, in our text this morning. Look at verse uh, 8 through 11. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice uh, crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? 
Oh, that you, one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I'll accept no offering from your hands. Verse 11, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Two tests this morning to want to find out if what you're giving to the Lord is what he demands. Number one, would uh, it be accepted by the governor? Would it be accepted by your governor? Oh, let's talk about this for a minute. Am I talking about Rod Blagojevich? Is that what I'm talking about? In some ways, yeah, maybe. We know that what he's talking about is that there were Persian governors back in the day. Remember, Israel is still under the rule of the Medes and the Persians. And we know that there were Persian governors around and that they were overseeing just as our governor does a province within a greater empire. And what would happen at different times is what would take place is, is that they would come and they would seek the allegiance of their people and they would say, bring me something. Bring me something that shows your allegiance. And of course, in an agricultural society, that what you had usually was some sort of commodity, whether an animal or a precious stone or some sort of grain, and you would bring it and you would say, here, look upon me with favor. Why? Because I brought you something. Back in the late 70s, Jimmy Carter wanted to be known as the president to the little people. And so what Jimmy Carter used to do is he would go and have surprise visits with households all across America. And what would happen is, is they would come through Main Street, USA, and they would come to an individual's house. Now, if the president came, and I don't want to get political, so please don't take it that way, but if the president came with all of his uh, pomp and circumstance of being the leader of the free world, he walks into your living room. And he says, hey, Tim and Amanda, it's great to be here. Tell Noah and Joshua to stop jumping on me. And uh, what's for dinner? And I say, you know what? Hey, Mr. President, um, I brought some pork chops home from an event a couple days ago. Uh, Amanda just had a baby. And, uh, and don't, don't ask her about making any food because she just had a baby. And that wouldn't be very nice. So we're just going to eat some, some uh, uh, reruns, some leftovers. Would we do that? Would we do that with people that we honor and respect? God asked that question. God says, would you give that to an earthly king, to an earthly governor? You know, we've got a lot of earthly governors in our life. There's a lot of what we do and how we give and how we live that is acceptable enough for our earthly governor, but we don't give it to God. Let me help us out with that understanding for just a moment. We many times give all that we need to when it comes to the three-letter word, the IRS. We make sure that they get every penny. We want to make sure we're right with them in every way that on April 15th we can have a clear conscience before our government. And yet those same Christians who pay every nickel and every dime only give nickels and dimes to the Lord. And you know what happens? God says you've given to your earthly governor and he's accepted it but you've given nothing to me. What happens if you gave your offering, and, and I know this is hard hitting, what happens if you were to give your offering to the IRS? What would the IRS say to you? What would they say? 
would they say, wait a minute, something doesn't make sense. You make a whole lot more money than what you're paying out in this way. How about in the area of hobbies? We make sure that our hobbies, everything that we have is our hobbies. Everything is primo when it comes to our hobbies, that everything is just right. We make sure that we have everything for our enjoyment and our fun. We make sure when we go on vacations that we make sure the itinerary is just perfect and we're here at this moment and we're there at that moment, that we make sure everything goes great. But when it comes to God, I look at my watch and I say, oh, sorry, God, I'm out of time. I wish I would have known earlier because I would have planned for something like that. What would your kids say if you didn't have a plan to your vacation? A focused idea of where you were going and how you were going to get there. And you say, you know, hey, kids, we were going to Disney World, but daddy forgot to buy plane tickets. Sorry. Would your kids find that acceptable? Oh, they'd be devastated. And yet we have a, a, a people, we are a people that put more time, and again, nothing's wrong with vacations and hobbies, but we put more time and energy in those things then we do our own walk with God. What about when it comes to our time with our family, the giving of, of our things to our family? How about bosses? We work so hard for the boss. We work all these hours. We make sure that we're there early. We make sure that we stay until the boss is, is done with what he says he's going to do. But when, when you're serving the Lord, you're looking at your watch and you're saying, hey, I got other things to do. You're not my master. I am my master of my life, and I'm going to do what I need to get done. And we find ourselves serving our bosses with greater respect and honor than serving God. When we sit down and enjoy something that we love, we set aside time. We set aside energy. G. Campbell Morgan said, Yet when we come to listen and to listen to God's word and to worship, we bring contempt upon the individuals who go five minutes too long because our time is worth more than that. Is it accepted by our governor? The next one, does it ascribe glory to God? Does it ascribe glory to God? Verse 11. This is a prophetic statement that's being given. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offering will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations. What is God telling the Israelites? He's saying my name isn't just going to be worshipped and praised by you, the Israelites, but it'll be great among the nations. Even the heathen and pagan nations will hear the name of God and fear the name of God and worship and adore the name of God. How have we seen that fulfilled? How many Jewish people do we have in our midst today? All right, that works good. If you all would have raised your hand, my application would have gone down the tubes. How many Europeans do we have here? Got some Europeans, people of European background? Help me out. Come on, European. Okay. Do we have any uh, from uh, African background? Do we have African background? We've got some. How about uh, South American or Central American? We have, we have some of that, right? Nathan, you're not from Central America. Your parents may send you to Central America. Okay. How about Canada? Yeah, Canada. What has happened? In every nation, people have been brought to God. Now, what does this mean? Well, this means, Israel, get going. Do what you're called to do because there's going to be others that are going to do it. This must have been an incredible affront to the Israelites who were God's chosen people. What do you mean other people are going to fear your name? What do you mean other people are going to worship you and bring you incense and offering? 
We are the only ones that do that. And God says, no, I've got a plan that will supersede that. Well, how does that fit within what we're giving? Does what we give line up with the glory that God is requiring of us to give him? When you give, when you serve, when you worship, does it line up? Is it in line with what God requires of his glory? That his name is great, that he is holy, that he is the Lord Almighty. Does it line up with that? Or does it look like a casual individual going through the motions and serving another individual, not the infinite, omnipotent God in heaven? Does it ascribe glory to God? Let me ask you a question. Do you pass those two tests? How's your giving? How's your worship? How's your devotions? How's your service to God? Do you approach God in your walk as we would with a standing president or a man or a woman that is well known? Do we have as we serve and as we worship and as we pursue the life of holiness, do we see that as the greatness of God and his glory being revealed through all of it and saying, this is why I do it because great is the Lord and he is to be feared not only among the nations, but in the life of Timbadal and all that I do. Well, what happens if it's not happening? There are three things very quickly. There are three things that happen, Malachi says, when we don't pass the test. Number one, God is not pleased. Verse 10, he emphatically says, I am not pleased. I'm sorry, it's uh, in, uh, not in verse 10, it's in verse, I am not pleased. It's in there. I can't find it. It's in there. Prego. It's in there. Okay. Verse Is it in verse 10? I'm not pleased with you. There you go. I'm not pleased with you. Thank you. I'm not pleased with you. Let me give you the Hebrew of that so you can understand the depth of that statement. In the Hebrew, it means I am not pleased with you. All right? That's some great Hebrew scholarship there. That's what it means. He's not happy. And what I've learned is, is that I want to make my master happy. I want to make sure that I serve my boss and my customers and, and, and the people that I work for. I want to make sure they're happy. I want to make sure they're pleased. I won't be in business very long if they're not pleased. I want to honor my parents. I want to honor my father. I want to do what pleases him. Why? Because that brings him glory and that puts me in a good standing. When my father is pleased with me, the wrath of discipline does not come. It does not come. But it says that he's displeased with us. Colossians 1.10, write this in your outlines, look at it later, talks about that our purpose is to please God in every good work that we do. That's the job of the Christian. So you say, who cares if God's not pleased with me? You should if you call yourself a believer because you are doing what you, that is what God has called you to do. And if you don't do that, you're not living out your purpose. Verse 9 says that he will not answer prayer. This is an amazing thing. The people now are imploring God to be gracious to them. What he's saying is, is they're saying, now implore God to be gracious with us. Meaning these people are going to God and praying. They're imploring. This word imploring in the Hebrew literally means they're calling out to God. In their times of trouble, in their times of trial, they're going to God and they're saying, God, help me. Help me with my family. Help me with the needs that I have financially. Help me that I will be able to kick this depression and get rid of this sinful behavior. And they're imploring God. 
The problem was, is with the same, they weren't doing uh, it with the same passion. Here they're one step imploring God and calling on God and saying, God is great among the nations, great enough to take care of my problems and my pains. But when it came to serving and worshiping God, they said, you know what, things are good. I'll give God just a little bit, just a little bit. Whatever I got in my pocket, I'll give them. And they weren't living lives. And so what does God say? He said, I won't, I won't answer your prayers. I won't answer your prayers. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? He says, I will not accept no offering from your hands. Whatever you bring me, I'm not going to take it. I don't want it. Look at what he says next. God would rather close the place down. He would rather close the place down. Look at what he says in the text. He says, I want, man, would someone just shut the door? And stop this nonsense once and for all. I would rather nobody worship me than you bring me this garbage that you're bringing me. I don't want it. Close it down. What would that say to Village Bible Church if God said to us, you know what, close it down. It'd be better that nobody be in there than you try to do what you're doing. What a devastating statement to the people of Israel. And yet there are some of us that God is saying, you know what, just stop what you're doing. You're wasting your time. You're coming and you're offering me this garbage because your heart's not in it, because you're motivated by the wrong things and because you have no desire to truly participate in this. Why are you wasting your time? I don't need it and you don't need it. And yet we come and every Sunday we worship, we raise our hands, we say how wonderful the Lord is and we live opposite ways throughout the week. And God says, why are you wasting your time on Sunday if your heart isn't right? He says, close it down. I'd rather no worship be done than wrong worship. So what do we do? What do we do? Point number three, how do we change our lives? How do we move forward? Well, before I read point three, turn real quickly to the book of Isaiah. If you're in Malachi, turn to your left. You're going to go through some of the major prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, you'll go through. You'll find the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 1, verse 11 through 15. God got to this place of anger before, and I'm going to tell you something. You may say, Tim, this is, uh, you're making God out to be an angry God. Well, he is an angry God. He's mad. He's going to get even uh, more upset in chapter 2, as we're going to see in a couple weeks. But look at what he says in Isaiah 1, 11 through 15. This is what he says. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough I've had more than enough of the burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become like a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer me many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now notice what happens. 
You want God to hear your prayers? You want God to be pleased with you? You want God to accept what you give him? This is what he says. Look at verse 16. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What is he talking about? Life, real life Christianity. Pursuing God. So what do we do? Number three, commit to, a live, commit to live a life that is dedicated to God. You want God to accept you? You want God to be pleased with you? You want God to honor your work? Then do what, is, what you need to to dedicate your life to Him. It involves two things. Give God what He deserves. Give God what He deserves. He says in verse 14, I am a great king. Well, what does a king deserve? A king deserves three things, God's Word says. In all, whether in our finances, in our holiness, in our passions, in our pursuits, there are three things. Number one, give of your first fruits. Give of your first fruits. Don't give what's left over. Start by giving to God. Give to God. When you wake up in the morning, don't think about how you can give to the boss so he will make a profit prior to you asking, how can I give to God that his name will be honored? Before you give to the mortgage and to the taxes and to all those things, ask the question, how can I give to God? How can I give to Him? How can I uh, bring glory through the way I share of my finances? Give of the best. Give of the best. Don't give of the second-hand, third-hand things. Give the best. You'll disappoint people when you don't give the best, so what do we do? We give them the best. On Christmas, we don't just rewrap things that we've done. Well, some of you do. Shame on you. You rewrap things. And you know, if the person found that out, I'll share just a very quick story. My brother, my older brother, the Christmas before he died, he gave me all kinds of tapes. When tapes were pretty expensive back then, he got me all these tapes. And I was blown away that my brother would show this kind of love and affection for me until my brother passed away. My brother and I got some things to deal with when I get to heaven and talk with him about it. My dad said, you know, you and uh, Chris, you loved your music, so I'll give you all of Chris's tapes. And then I started going through all these copied tapes of all the ones that Chris had given to me. I didn't think so special anymore because my brother gave me what he wanted and then moved it on to me. Thank God that's not the unpardonable sin. And my brother is residing in heaven in glory today. But you know what? It took away something. And yet we do that with God, don't we? We say, you know what, God? I'll give you something, but it won't be the best. Here, God, this is all that I can give. This is all I can serve you in, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm just tired. I was out watching the ball game yesterday. Lord, I wish I would have done a better job preaching this morning, but I was partying with some friends yesterday, and that was more important. Lord, so you got what you got. I'm sorry. Maybe next time. Give something that will cost you. Give something that will cost you. Is what you're giving to the Lord, is it a sacrifice? Why do they call it a sacrifice? Because that's what it should be, a sacrifice. Is your service to God a sacrifice? Is the way you live for God a sacrifice? Is it costing you something? If it's not, it's not much of a sacrifice. Give God what He deserves. He's the great God. He's a great King. Finally, give God what you declare. Verse 14 says, If a man vows to give something and does not give it, he is a cheat and he is cursed. Some of us speak 
like the preacher. Man, we, we, we have the heart to do it, man. We're excited about it. We're Peter. We're New Testament uh, and uh, church-age Peters, if you will. Man, we're ready to sign on the dotted line. Absolutely, Lord. I'll go to the cross with you. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. We're going to go together in it. And then when the, tough, when the going gets tough, we scatter. And we say, I can't do it, Lord. I, I can't. You know what? I've got this obligation. I've got this going on. I've got that going on. If you've declared that you are going to serve the Lord, and if you call yourself a child of God, you have declared you are in the service of the Lord, then do what you have declared, what you have vowed. If you have vowed to be obedient, then be obedient. If you have, a vow, if you have given a vow to give unto the Lord, then give wholeheartedly to the Lord. If you've been called to serve the Lord, you do it with all your heart. If you were called to worship, then worship the Lord. What happens? We're cursed if we don't. It's amazing. Commentators say that we would fall under the same judgment as Edom. God will oppose us. Isn't that what the book of James says? God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And if we're saying we can do it our way, God says he will oppose us. We're a cheat, it says, which we'll learn in a couple chapters that we rob God. Are you robbing God this morning of the glory that is due his name Well, how do we keep from this happening? Write these down before we close. Number one, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself to do the will of God. It's not going to just happen. You have to prepare yourself. Number two, participate wholeheartedly to the Lord. Do it with all your heart. The Bible says we are to love the Lord God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. Is that characteristic of your Christian life? today. And finally, do it with the glory of God as your motive. Are you doing it to make yourself look good? Are you doing it to make sure you look holy? Or are you doing it because God is a great God whose name should be feared among the nations? Because that's the only way, my friends, that we will not give God the leftovers because God doesn't deserve the leftovers. He deserves the very best. So let's give it to him. Father God, we come before you We praise you this morning. We praise you that you showed in your boldness the air of your people. And Father, we know that you're a God of grace. We know that you're a God of mercy. But those should always be in balance with what you expect and what you've called for us to commit to. So Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would seek to give our best, to give of a sacrifice, to give first to you. And Lord, that means maybe changing the way we live. That may mean changing the way we use our time. That may be changing the people that we hang out with. But Lord, you've called us to a sacrifice. And we pray that we will be able to live lives that are sacrifices to you, holy and acceptable to nobody else but to you. So Lord, we confess our sins. We seek your face. And we ask for your forgiveness so that this week will be a new week. We'll be a changed people so that you will receive glory and honor because your name is feared and is glorified among the nations. And we see that with our very own eyes. To you be the glory and honor. Amen. Thank you, Tim.